Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. My name is Goose, and on today's show, we had a repeat guest, Tim Keating from Dashdot. He was formerly, last time he was on the show, was the uh, was a property acquisition analyst, and now he is the head of our property team. And we talked about what is actually going on in the market today, buying properties on the coalface in the current environment with rate rises, with the media saying the property market's going down, all of that kind of stuff. What is actually happening on the ground around it? Australia. We talk about that. So if you're interested to know what it is actually like at the coalface, right in the pits, in the firing line to see what's actually going on on the ground and how you can navigate it to be a more successful investor, then this is the episode for you. So without any further ado, I'm going to get stuck right into it. And of course, just remember, if you like this this show, this podcast, or you like your family and friends, make sure you share this episode or another episode with them. Share it on social media, share it wherever you can, because that helps us get the message out to more and more people. And of course, if you've got a question that you would like answered on the show, please email that into TIL. That's TIL at dashdot.com.au. Send it in. We can answer your question on the show as well. Without any further ado, let's get stuck into it. And I'll see you on the inside. Hey guys, welcome back to the Investor Lab. Joining me on today's show is actually a repeat guest, Tim Keating, who last time he was on the show was a property acquisition analyst, but who is now head of the property team. Tim, welcome back to the show. How are you? Good, Goose. Thanks for having me, mate. Great to be back. Awesome, mate. So what's been happening since last time we spoke? Oh, mate, a hell of a lot, actually, since we last spoke. Uh, I think I was in Darwin and it was around, uh, would have been around October, I believe, or yeah, late October. So uh, since then, we made our, our way across Queensland and we did a, a trip up the coast and visited all of our properties that we've purchased uh, and seen them for the first time. Cool. Um, the first few were pleasantly, we were really surprised with at, at the quality of them and, uh, you know, we thought we'd done quite well. Um, the last one that we came across in North Queensland, <laughs> we bought a fourplex in, uh, in Townsville. We weren't so uh, happy with the condition of it, uh, but we got stuck in, and we just did a six-month renovation. Just to be um, just ourselves. to be clear, just to be clear though, you knew that it was a bit of a fixer-upper when you bought it. Oh, absolutely, yeah. We we knew that we were in for a, a long haul, but um, you know, after seeing the condition of the first two, and going, "Wow, these are better than we thought," and then getting to Townsville and seeing the the state of the last one, we it was a bit of a reality check in terms of the work that we were we had ahead of us. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we did we did buy it as a fixer-upper um, and have yeah, spent the last six months uh, doing a massive renovation on that. So that's what we've been up to. Awesome. I, I'd love to dig into that, but um, we'll maybe actually, should we dig into that? Because I'd be interested to know, like, is it probably good for the listener to, to learn how that went? And how did that work out? Really good. I, I can run through the numbers if you like. Yeah, go for it. And then because I wanted to, yeah, I want to talk to you about what's going on in the actual, what's going on out there in the market. But yeah, tell us, give us a run, give us a rundown how that deal worked out. Because I know it caused you a bit of pain, but I think it turned out all right. Yeah, so we bought it for six hundred and twenty-five thousand. It's a ten-bedroom, four-bathroom, four garage, fourplex. So there's four units. Two of them are three-bedroom, and two of them are Mm two-bedroom. We spent one hundred and ten thousand dollars on the Renault, doing the majority of it ourselves. Yep. Um, it's so hang on, so hang on. What was the purchase price? The six twenty five. Six twenty five purchase price, and then yep. how much on the Renault? One hundred and ten was it? One hundred and ten. Yep. Yep. See that way you need you up to seven thirty five. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> it's currently all four units are currently rented. Yeah. We're getting fourteen hundred and thirty per week. 
in rent. Fourteen thirty a week. Yeah, on a yep. seven thirty five spend. Yep. Mm-hmm. Which works at about a ten percent yield. Crikey. Yep. And uh, we've just had a val at eight fifty. Boom. So we've had a a good little equity uplift. Yeah. And um, even with uh, you know new adjusted interest rates, it's still kicking out twenty eight thousand dollars a year in cash flow. That's pretty bloody good. So, okay, so you basically you made about one hundred and fifteen grand in equity, and you've gained about twenty eight grand a year in cash flow from that deal. Yeah, correct. So it's a Worth bit of a, it? it's a, it's a, oh, absolutely crack a deal. Lots of work, but happy with the result for sure. <laughs> would you do it again? I would. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Absolutely, I would. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, interesting. All right, awesome. No, I, I love that. Yeah, because it's definitely um definitely was a bit of a bigger project than you originally thought. But mate, I'd love to um what I want to do what I want to do is I want to talk to you today about what's actually happening out there in the market. Like there's there's a lot of talk right now, particularly in the media. Our property markets crashing, booms over, interest rates are going up, can't afford to buy. You know, there's no demand anymore. If you listen to the media, you know, you hear and you're hearing things like ah oh, auction rates are down and you know listing volumes are up and all of that kind of stuff. And there's, you know, there's nothing that, um, that, you know, no one's buying anything anywhere or any of that kind of stuff. And so it makes it sound like it's a terrible time to be an investor, but I would love to, given the, given the fact that you're at the, um, you're at the helm of our property team who are out there every day, looking at properties in the marketplace, finding deals for our clients, all that kind of stuff. Mate, can you give us some insight? Tell us what's going on. Yeah. Don't believe the media. I mean, uh, you see all the clickbait headlines everywhere these days and, you know, they're not selling as many newspapers as they used to, so they've got to make uh, make money from clicks and advertising and all that sort of thing online. So they'll write anything to get you to go and read it, essentially. And uh, <clears throat> I can tell you that the, the, the markets that we're buying in have definitely not cooled at all. There's definitely some areas in Australia that have cooled, mm. um, but we're not buying in those areas. We buy in areas that have got uh, solid uh, foundations and fundamentals. And uh, you might see that some capital city markets, Sydney, Melbourne, potentially have started to to decline, or the the heat has sort of come out well, of the market have, a little they bit. Well, they have they have started to decline. So Sydney just recorded dwelling dwelling values that have that have dropped. Now, interesting thing about that is that you know, geez, I can't actually remember off the top of my head how many different suburbs and and stuff there are in Sydney. But interestingly, not, some suburbs in Sydney are still going up in value, and some suburbs in Sydney are going down in value. But on aggregate, Sydney's gone down in value, and the same thing goes in Melbourne, and the same thing in Canberra. Again, mm. some parts of Melbourne are going up, some parts of Canberra are going up, but on aggregate, they're going down. The problem with that though is that the market cap of those is so of those locations is so big, like the total aggregate value. Value of properties in those locations is so big that if they start to go down, everyone thinks that everything's going down, you know. And this and this is kind of the problem. It's kind of like if you looked at the um, if you looked at the ASX and you took the the largest companies in the ASX for so for example, if and if you just people hear it all the time, like with Tesla, for example, if Tesla goes down in value by ten percent, then the whole Nasdaq goes down in value, sort of thing like that. So if you imagine if BHP went down by ten percent, you know, so. This is the kind of the the myth that I think is out there. So the values are going down in some places, but they're always going down somewhere. This is what people are missing. Yeah, hundred percent. And I mean, yes, there was a property boom, uh, and the, the the myth at the moment is that we're still in this property boom. But mm. the reality of it is, the property boom only lasted for a specific timeline, and I'm sure you've got the numbers on the particulars yeah. behind that. Yeah. Um, and you know, we've got evidence and and data that shows that everything or the majority of properties uh, in the property boom uh, areas continued to rise and then as soon as the boom finished they've started to decline however if you graph it out and you look at the areas that we're buying in and the suburbs that we're buying in 
that property boom cycle had zero effect on the trajectory of the areas that we we're buying in. Yeah. They were going up before, they went up during, they're going up after. Yeah, it's so, pretty interesting, isn't it? That's amazing. I love I love those graphs. So yeah, I'm sure you can speak to the numbers better than I <laughs> yeah. can. But um Taylor, well, that's a, it's a really interesting point that you made because everyone keeps going on about a property boom, property boom, property boom, pro- property boom. And yes, absolutely there was a property boom. And in fact, if you look at the data for you know 2021, you'll see that the like the significant, I think it was 84% of suburbs in Australia grew by more than 7%, 7% being roughly the long-term average of growth. Um, over the last 30 years in Australia. So use that as a bit of a benchmark. I think it was, I think from the top of my head, it was about 84% of suburbs grew by more than 7%. So, okay, that's pretty hectic. But in in practice, the actual boom only re- by de- as defined by the median uh, median uh, national sales price and growth um, only went for about seven months. So in September 2020, we had national property price decline, right? In September 2020. Okay, so that's obviously not a boom because prices went down. And then in May 2021, the growth rates peaked. From May 2021, the national median growth rate has actually been slowing down. So, in, in actuality, we've been on the downslope of the boom for you know a significant amount of time, and that's kind of played out through 2021. But if you also then look at the numbers about the at the percentage of percentage of suburbs that were going down versus the percentage of properties that were going up above average and versus they were going up up at a normal rate, if you compare that with 2019, 2020, and 2022, you'll actually find that we've actually basically just reverted back to a pretty normal distribution of, of areas going up and down. So that's pretty interesting. So, mm. so tell us then, like, what's it what's it actually like when, when we're trying to buy pop- properties out there? Is it like, you know, it's hard. If, why? <laughs> it's a, what's going on? It's a, it's a hard slog. There's, uh, I don't know why. I mean, obviously, where we're buying, they have a lot of upside. The areas that we're buying and have a lot of upside. Yeah. Um, there's lots of owner occupiers there's lots of investors on the ground trying to buy we're in multi-office situations nine times out of ten on basically every property that we're trying to get to get our hands on and that's because which we is, buy the best which is suboptimal yeah it's suboptimal oh, we don't we don't absolutely. we, we pre- way prefer not to be in those environments but absolutely but at, the same, yeah. but at the same time if they're the best places to buy then anyway yeah yeah keep going well we're, we're buying the best properties in the best locations so there's of course going to be other people trying to do the same thing right trying to buy the same properties that we are um so unfortunately we're in a we're in multi-office situations more often than not. And we've had to change our tactics somewhat, um, mm. constantly grinding out, trying to figure out the, the best way that we can have the most success on the ground. But, yep. um, you know, things are going over asking in just the, the, the amount that some of these properties are going over the listing price is mm. just insane. Um, but, you know, we obviously pull out where we, uh, you know, where we don't see value and we don't think it's in the best interest of our clients. Yeah. So we, uh, yeah. We're in a we're in a, a tough spot in terms of uh, the the ability to purchase effectively in some locations. But the good thing is, there's always others popping up that are adding, uh, getting added to the list of suburbs that we're actually purchasing from. Yeah, totally. So does that? Um, I have actually haven't had a look on the the data on this, but does that mean that the vendor discount rate is actually inverted in a lot of locations? Yeah, yeah, it is. So. Uh, I think we had a, I had a look at the April uh, medium vendor discount numbers the other day. Some of them are above fifteen percent, so minus fifteen percent discount. 
So going fifteen percent over asking price. <laughs> okay, so if you're so for the listener, just to get you up to speed with what we're talking about here, there's a measurement called the vendor discount rate, which basically measures what percentage are above or below the asking price the vendors actually sell for in an area. So if the vendor discount rate is high, right? If it's a if it's like say plus ten percent, then that means that the discount it's on average properties are getting discounted by ten percent from the list price, right? But if it's Negative fifteen percent. That means on average, properties are selling for fifteen percent above the list price. It's a negative. It's a negative discount rate. So when the discount rate is inverted, <laughs> when the discount rate inverts, that's a sign that it's a pretty tough. That's a pretty tough environment to buy in. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And it's the funny thing is, you see these articles online about you know clearance rates at auctions decreased or fell for the first time x amount of months, and mm. you see all the laughing emojis on the on the uh, on the ads and all that sort of thing. Like people want to see the market come down and. They're calling investors stupid, and you know there's all sorts of commentary on the uh, on the articles. But if you look at it from the other point of view, where we're not buying in these capital cities, we're buying in regional markets that have got super strong fundamentals that are going up and up and up, and we're getting you know 15% over asking price. It just shows that you know there is no one Australian property market. Yeah, and that every exactly single market's right. unique and individual, and uh, yeah, we've we've chosen these locations based on those uh, those factors. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, there's fifteen thousand two hundred and sixty-four towns and suburbs in Australia, and each of them act in, act independently. It's pretty interesting when you look at the heat maps and stuff over the last thirty years. And so, Tim, like from your perspective, you mentioned earlier uh, about interest rates. You mentioned about your cash flow and your property, and how you know, like you're still getting tons of good cash flow out of that property from there. So, I'm interested to know from your perspective. Have you seen, we've obviously had a couple of interest rate rises recently, uh, and a lot of people are concerned about that. Can you tell me what impact have you actually seen on the coalface, like on the ground, in all the locations that we're buying in? Have you actually seen any impact of uh, interest rate rises on the, on the actual ground? Like, is it changing how people are buying? Is it making it easier to buy? Is it harder to buy? What's the impact there? And then secondarily, has it had any impact on, uh, in your opinion, a property purchasing strategy or the types of properties we might need to buy or any of, the, any of that kind of stuff for clients? All right. So firstly, we'll talk about the, the heat in the market. Mm-hmm. So there's been a negligible effect. We have noticed no, no decrease in the heat on the market. Um, competition's still there. We're still in multi-office situations. Uh, if anything, it may have even increased uh, since the election sort of calmed down. Yeah. Um, the good thing is when interest rates rise, rents also rise. Um, over the past 12 months, we've seen in the areas that we're buying 20 to 25% rental increases. And if you look back, at, look back at the property that we purchased, we were um, anticipating rents to be in the range of $1,200 and we're at $1,430 per week. Unreal. So, and that's, that was since we got a rental appraisal six months ago. So it's a huge increase in rents just in that particular area. And the forecasts are that we're going to see, I think we saw an article the other day, uh, was it 10 to 18% over the next 12 months? Uh, yeah, I think, I think so at the moment, most regions in Australia, most areas in Australia have been growing at an annualized rate of 10 to 20% per annum for the last, I don't know, like year or so. So rents have been going up by that much and they're forecast to pretty much do exactly the same thing for for the for the next year and this is the, this is the interesting thing about this is that i actually don't know if that is going to change anytime soon like I, I like i think that that's obviously it'll start to soften after a while but that could be years you know like we're actually seeing that and this is actually a global trend this isn't something that's specifically unique to australia like 
people think that pe- when people see change, when they're like, oh, but rents, rents shouldn't, rents should be rising by three to five percent a year. That used to be the kind of prevailing logic is that rents would rise between three to five percent a year. But in practice, they've been rising by five, you know, when back to 2019, they're rising at about five percent, then it's 10 percent, and it's 15 percent, and 20 percent, right? Here's the thing it's speeding up. People see situations like that and they're like, oh, this is just a weird anomaly, but it's actually happening everywhere. If you look at the States, if you look at the US, the exact same thing is happening in the US. And in fact, rents are in almost all areas in the US, rents are going through the roof over there as well. Same thing's happening in Europe. And the reason for that, like the really basic fundamental reason for that, you know, the biggest catch cry of real estate is, you know, they're not making any more land, buy land, they're not making any more of it, blah, blah, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Everyone's kind of heard that kind of stuff before, but that's actually, it's actually true, right? And so, when it is actually true and the government can't just continue to release more land because guess what we to, to development because guess what we need to be able to still produce we need to still have forests we still need to be able to have farms we need to have all that kind of stuff it does actually limit the capacity to be able to continue to build and build more properties not only that we've got supply chain disruptions right so that simple fact means that we don't we're continuously squeezing the housing supply which means prices go up which means it's harder for people to get into property, which means more people want to rent, right? Which drives rents up. It's pretty simple. So yeah, this is happening all over the place. So back to your point. Yes, it is forecast to continue for like the le- at least the next year. Mm. And I guess one other thing that we've noticed in the market too is less competition on higher priced items. Interesting. Higher priced assets. So when you say, you hang on, at- when you say higher price, what do you mean by higher price? Because I was reading in the paper the other day about a house in Mossman selling for about 23 million, right? So that's that's <laughs> like, that's a higher price property. How high are we talking here? Well, let's just look at like, uh, let's say you're a, um, you're living in a city, right? And yeah. you're looking at buying a, a million dollar property. Mm. That's fairly cheap for a CBD. Whereas the areas that we're buying in, a common purchase price is sort of 250 to $500,000. So mm. very affordable, uh, lower lower debt levels. Mm. So we're having you know less comp- uh, less competition for the high. When I say high priced, I'm talking about a million dollar asset in these areas mm. that we're buying in, and much more competition around the lower price sort of uh, entry level investor market. Yep. Um, and I think we'll see that continue. And it's not just investors; it's also the exodus from the uh, the cities into the affordable lifestyle. I think that's just going to continue. You know, totally. It's. I, I mean, obviously, I'm traveling around Australia in a caravan, so I've got a, a bit of a thing for being remote and um, you know the whole lifestyle factor around it. But um, I think that the further we get through time, the more people are going to realize that they don't need to be living in a city and they totally. can live wherever they like. You know, you're a you're a prime example of this. Um, yeah. We're having having a company where we have a work from anywhere policy or a work from yeah. somewhere policy is the, is the way we yeah, look at yeah. it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's so, just an affordable lifestyle, and being in the regions and rural areas is just a, it's a an awesome lifestyle boost. Totally, it's a and it's a huge one that people are missing, right? So I read a I read a um, uh, actually it was an ad for like some kind of like co working space type thing, and it said commuting is unpaid overtime. <laughs> and I was like, true. yeah, it is. That is very true, <laughs> isn't it? Now you can yeah. choose. I, Me personally, um, I don't really want to like live in a small country town area. I've grew up in a small country town. 
it's not my it's not my vibe maybe sometime later on all good i actually prefer to be you know in a kind of in an environment that is somewhat has like some kind of cosmopolitan features i like you know restaurants and stuff like that that being said right that being said that doesn't mean you need to be in like sydney for example for that to get that because you can get that all over the place right and in fact you can get that by going all over the place which means moving around a lot and renting loads of different places and so the exodus to affordable lifestyle isn't just about people moving to the country and buying houses in the country to live in it's actually exacerbated by the idea that people now have a smorgasbord basically a, a degustation platter of opportunities to live in they can go yeah you know what i'm going to go live in the sunshine coast for a year and then i'm going to go live in perth for a year uh, and then i'm going to go live in i don't know Adelaide for a year and then I'm going to go live somewhere else for a year and the whole time because they've now got that optionality they're actually choosing to rent more and this has actually been this is actually like a, a massive mega trend um, access versus ownership and it's the same argument that actually it's the same kind of it's the same mega trend sorry that actually fueled Uber right so it used to be everyone wants to buy a car everyone wants to own a car everyone wants to buy a car and own a car and then Uber came along and said you don't need to and like to be honest I was looking at buying another car recently because I don't know it was to be honest, I was a bit bored, right? So I was like, oh, yeah, man, maybe I'll buy a car. And I was doing the maths on it. And I was like, I could literally get an Uber premium every single day. And still, it like makes more sense than owning a new car. I was like, <laughs> what the hell, right? And so you got this access versus ownership discussion. And when you can choose to have the life that you want with the absolute optionality that you desire, it changes the game, which is even more reason why people are renting and then that's even going to be even better, better for property investors. Yeah, and we've we've seen this even amongst our own acquisition team. You know, we, we yeah. look at these areas that we're buying in and we've been watching them for, say, three, six months. And then all of a sudden... Some, some of the team members think, oh, wow, this is a pretty good place to live. I might move there. And we've actually got two of our acquisition team members that are moving to some of the locations really? that we've been purchasing in because, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's awesome! I didn't yeah. know that. That's so good. That is so good. Yeah, look and look. The things that under the things that underpin this kind of stuff, right? And that and there's always going to be some degree of asymmetry, but it's always a combination of lifestyle, jobs, and affordability. Now. Can you have a location which will be really strong because it's got affordability and jobs and less lifestyle? Yes, but if it's got no lifestyle, then it's probably going to be a little bit volatile. You still need three. You still need three legs on the stool. And so, if what the team is discovering is that actually I can rent a great place here and it's got it's affordable and it's got lifestyle and I can kind of work and I can work remotely from anywhere as long as it's got in good infrastructure, then mate, that's awesome. I'm super super stoked about actually to hear about that. You have to actually tell me where they're moving after. <laughs> I don't want to give away the location. Hundred yeah, <laughs> percent. <laughs> awesome. So, um, okay. So I'm interested to know like. From a uh, strategy um, perspective, like obviously we've got a lot of clients that we're buying properties for um, every day, every week, all that kind of stuff. From a kind of a, a mindset perspective, like how do you think people should be thinking about um, buying in this market? You know, there's obviously a lot of fear in the in the media. There's obviously a lot of like noise, negativity, all of that kind of stuff. And fear, and just in case the listeners don't know what fear stands for, it's false events appearing real, false events appearing real. So how do you think people should navigate this kind of environment when there's a lot of fear in the market? Yeah, cool. So my overarching mindset strategy here <clears throat> is that you've got to have a static mind to deal with a dynamic environment. And I can talk to this with an example, if you like. Yeah. So... When you've got a dynamic mind, you've got a lot of things going on, lots of different levers are being pulled, lots of different stresses are being added in. 
if you get other dynamic circumstances coming your way, you probably won't respond to them very well. So for instance, you might have been to the shops and you've seen a parent with all these kids screaming and carrying on and you know a few other things are happening and then some external thing will come in and they'll just flip out and lose their mind and it's just a, a knee-jerk reaction that they mm. shouldn't have they shouldn't have done that basically and that's because they've got a dynamic mind and they're in a dynamic situation and the two aren't working together mm. so you need to have a static mind where you have sound fundamental bases and reasoning to be able to mm. deal with those external dynamic pressures and changing conditions so from a real estate perspective those changing conditions are media hype interest rate rises doom and gloom but from a mindset perspective we need to work off a principles-based approach so we buy properties in well, you have you have principles that will determine your choices basically mm. your tactics can change but your principles remain the same it's very that's so I love the I love the sentiment, but it's interesting because I think you could also take that in a, in a slightly you could also look at it in a slightly different way, right? Because um, I agree that stillness is the key, and in fact, if anyone's looking for a good book uh, on that topic and particularly like the the Stoic philosophy around that, then look for the book called Stillness is the Key by Ryan uh, Ryan Holiday. In fact, there's another great book called Ego is the Enemy. Check that one out as well. Great, great books. Um, so I believe that you do need to have a principles-based approach, but um, and that actually gives you the stillness in order to participate in a dynamic environment, right? Because um, if, for example, you so, and I think this is your point, right? To have a static mind in a dynamic environment, because if you can have a calm and centered mind that can survey the landscape with the context and the uh, and the and the and the and the comprehension of how to approach it in a principles based way, then it allows you to be dynamic to the to the different changes. Because for if, for example, we said, "Oh, we we we're buying properties in Newcastle, right?" And if we said that's our place, and we're just going to buy properties in Newcastle, then when you actually have um, external forces that might change, and they could be socio-political, socio-economic. Um, uh, they could be demographic. They could be psychographic. They could be economic. They could be fiscal policy, government policy. Any of these kind of things could change. But if you're too dogmatic in the no, no, for example, nothing wrong with Newcastle, by the way. If you're in Newcastle and all good, um, not having to go to Newcastle. But if you've got a perspective that oh, we buy here, we do this, then when those other things come along. It's kind of like being. It's the it's the old analogy that is you want to be you want to be like a reed when the wind blows you want to bend with the breeze and you don't want to be like a, you don't want to be like the oak which cracks and breaks when the wind blows right so you need to have that that dynamicism to say okay cool how can I find the opportunities in today's market that requires that you're centered that requires that you're calm that requires that you have have poise but also requires that you know how to shift and change and look for the right opportunities in the right place at the right time. Because it doesn't matter, honestly, it doesn't even actually matter. Like, so what we what we said earlier is that some markets are going down and some markets are going up and all that kind of stuff. Can I just say, it actually doesn't even matter if the markets are going up or down. What actually matters is that you can identify how to find the opportunity in the situation. Because even if a market is going down, there's opportunities in that market that you can take advantage of as long as you can take a principles-based approach and stay calm in, in, the, in the torrent of noise. So what do you think about that? 100%. That's yeah, exactly my point. 
You've just articulated it better than I could. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was just that was shorthand for saying I just waffled on longer. That's all. That's all, that's all that is. So, mate, what about what about some? Have you seen any kind of success stories coming out of the market at the moment? Because a lot of people, again, this they're here and like, ah, oh, boom's over. No pro- properties aren't growing anymore. Shouldn't be buying. Any success stories that you've seen? Recent ones, like the, where, where, which might kind of challenge that view. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um, from a rental point of view, basically mm. every rental appraisal that we get, we, we always get a, a low end and a high end and we generally mm. work off a $20 range. So for instance, it might be $480 to $500 per week. We base all of our numbers off the low end just to be conservative. And then maybe by the time it settles, the market's moved a little bit and that the rent that we're actually going to achieve is higher. In about 90% of cases at the moment, we're seeing the rent that we're actually achieving post-settlement is above the high end of our rental appraisal. So we're going to clients and saying, hey, check this out. It's going to get 480 a week and it looks really good on paper. And in reality, they're getting 530 or 540 a week. You know, and this has just been a consistent theme across the board over the past little while. And you know, if we're doing a 42-day settlement, given the heat of the market and the rate at which rents are increasing, that's a yep. pretty large chunk of time to give you uh, an increased actual rent amount by the time we've settled. Oh, too Sorry. right. I mean, I can talk. I can talk from personal experience on that because we've bought a couple of properties in the last, oh, in the last few months. We've bought it. We've had a few properties settle, and one of them we bought. Geez, I can't remember when it went. When it went under contract, I'm pretty sure it was about a five point two percent yield when it went under contract. Uh, and then by the time it settled, I think it was five point eight, five point. Oh, actually, you know what, Tim? Actually, I'm just going to revise that because I actually had a look at it yesterday. That property that I was just talking about there. Um, actually went from a 5.2% to a 7% because it's actually just been actually rented out at a 7%. And then there was another property as well, which we had settled uh, recently, which we got a... um, So we actually bought it and I'm pretty confident we actually paid over like, you know, we paid over asking price, price, potentially over market value if you do a comparative market analysis, right? So we certainly didn't buy it under market value. And in the one and a half months since it settled, we would five weeks actually since it settled, we got a bank valuation on it the other day just because, you know, I just wanted to get some valuations on our properties. And it's um, we've actually made a hundred percent, just over a hundred percent return on investor capital on that property. And the yield has gone from an eight percent to a nine point one percent yield on that property. And it's like, what? Like it literally just we've got tenants in it like last week. I was like, what the hell's going on here? So um the thing is that it can change pretty dramatically, which I think is really actually quite liberating because what that actually means for most investors is um within the space of a really short period of time, the economics of the property are going to change rapidly. And so if you can lock in your price on day one and let the rents shift and grow with the economic environment, you're going to end up in a pretty good position pretty, pretty quickly. So I think that's actually quite liberating for property investors. 100%. And you know, we do valuations on our clients' properties every six months. And every six months when we see these reports come through, it's just amazing to see the results. And like the reality of it is, it's life-changing for people. And mm. the one that really sticks out in my mind is um, we had a, an early retiree come through. Uh, she was looking for something that was going to give her more freedom and and choice in her retirement and just comfort and safety that she knew that she was going to be okay moving forwards and she wasn't relying mm. on super or a pension. And we managed to find her this absolute cracker of a unit complex and it was yielding at around 11% and we managed to secure it for sub 500K. I think it was around 480 or 485 that we got it for. Mm-hmm. And the... Uh, the the email that we got from her that was just you know it was it really touched a lot of us to be honest totally. knowing that you know what we what we found her had 
absolutely changed her life in terms of cash flow and security for her moving forwards. And the best thing about it too, there was multiple valuates that she could have done to increase equity and rent, you know, at the same yeah. time. But just yeah, seeing that we actually have a life-changing effect on clients and knowing that what we're doing uh, is setting people up for the future and just giving them that peace of mind and ease and freedom and choice and abundance and all that fun stuff. It's just, yeah, it's amazing to see. Totally. So given the current environment, what kind of, what kind of, I know that we're buying in what, five different states at the moment and God, I can't even remember how many suburbs we're buying at the moment, but a decent amount, you know, about, about 1% of the total property market. There you go. So if anyone wants to work that out, um, what kind of, price points because i know prices have shifted a fair bit like compared to what we could buy you know a year or two years ago prices have shifted quite a bit and also yields have changed quite a bit as well so what Mm. what are some indications of the types of properties that we can buy in the market at the moment and you know kind of the general kind of like average price points or average yields just so people have got some idea what to go into because i remember there was a period there was a period there at like the start of like 2021 where pretty much every property we bought was like over eight percent yield that doesn't seem like that's really going on at the moment so do you want to give us a sense of kind of like maybe if there's different kind of categories or anything like that just to give us a bit of a sense of what people can achieve yeah no worries i mean well last year around i don't know from probably july through to october it was like you get a duplex, you get a duplex, you get a duplex. Everybody could just grab a duplex. It was getting 8% somewhere. Um, but as you said, those duplexes that we were buying for, say, you know, three to 400,000 are now 500,000. Mm-hmm. And as prices go up, uh, yields come down. Obviously, rents are going to continue to increase, but the, the yield at the purchase price, sorry, the yield at the time of purchase mm-hmm. um, is going to be lower than what it was, you know, six to 12 months ago. Um, so at the moment, we're finding single-family homes. Um, price points, it, it, they're all location-specific, but generally single-family homes are what we're sort of buying the most of at the moment. Um, and these are sort of neat and tidy, brick and tile, um, low-maintenance properties. And we'd be finding anything from you know 5.2 up to, say, early sixes in terms of yields. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty common across the, the market in general at the moment. But as we've said multiple times, if you're buying yourself a 5.5% yielding property, give it 12 months, it'll be a 6.5% yielding property. We've mm. locked the price in and the rents are going to continue to increase. So I've seen that across properties that I've purchased as well. And, you know, we, we map things out on a, a lower than uh, or a conservative um, rental increase year on year. Yeah. Um, so whenever we present a property to a client, they see, you know, a lower than anticipated uh, rental increase year on year on year. So hopefully we're going to underpromise and overdeliver in these uh, current market conditions. Yeah, totally, totally. So, um, so single-family homes. We're kind of looking from what I've seen. They're kind of like typically around that sort of four hundred, four fifty mark at the moment. Is that kind of fair to say? Yeah, it depends where they are. So you know, we could go up to say six hundred in some areas, but then there's other mm-hmm. areas that we're buying. You can get a, a you know, say a three-bed, one-bath for you know low two hundreds. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. And what mm. do you think? Um, what do you have? You got any advice for any other kind of tips for people that want uh, that are thinking about buying in the market at the moment? How to think about it? I guess current market conditions are temporary. Mm-hmm. So buy with a long term view. Um, you know, and the, the way that we do things, we we try and do things you know up to six times faster than your traditional methods of of purchasing or traditional methods of property investing. Yeah. So um, you know, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Um, but the way that we do it is proven time and time again. So I would say lean in 
uh, call someone like Dashdot who <laughs> 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 totally. can give you who can give you a leg up in a challenging market. Yeah, totally. I was just um I was just sorry if I appeared a bit distracted there. What I was actually just checking was what the current uh, national uh, rental yield is for houses because we're buying houses. So what you said there, um, based on uh, what we're seeing in the market, is you said five point two to sort of you know early sixes or whatever. Just to give some context, the national average rental yield is three point eight percent, right? So uh, if the national average rental yield is three point eight percent, that means that we are um, three point eight to um, let's just say we'll call it 5.2 on the low end, 36% higher on the low end in terms of the yields that we're that we're getting from the national average, which is which is pretty good. On average, we get about 71% higher yields than the national average, if that gives anyone some context. So that's um and there's that's, still areas, you know, we, we can still pull eight and nine percenters out. There's there's yeah. specific areas where we can do that for clients, but they need yeah. to have a, a specific kind of um appetite. Well, it depends on the portfolio strategy, right? Because, uh, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should, right? Just because you can get an 8% RE in such and such location or just because you could buy a cheaper or a more expensive property, it totally depends on on the portfolio strategy and what's right at different points in time and for who and for why, right? And it's not as simple mm-hmm. as people think it's just as simple as going, I want X characteristic in my property. It's actually way it's both uh, more simple and more complex. You know, the beauty, the beauty about um, the, the formula E equals MC squared is its simplicity and its elegance. And if you can really cook down portfolio strategy to its core components, it is extremely simple. But that doesn't mean that it's not also complex at the same time. You've got to understand the nuances and the differences and all of that kind of stuff to be able to, to, be able to make that work for you. So um, I think, yeah. And also, you know, sometimes yield comes down to a little bit of vanity. Um mm. You might think, oh yeah, I've got an eight percenter, <laughs> you know, a bit of a bit of an ego boost. But at the same time, maybe a five point two is going to give you more growth. Totally. So I, I, yeah, I always like to put use ourselves as an example, right? Because a lot of people do, you know, obviously you want yield and growth and all of that kind of stuff. But to your point, right? Property investing shouldn't be a one year game. You know, it shouldn't be a two year game, right? So even on it, like I think. Even if you want to be an active investor, you should probably be thinking about. And when I say active, what I'm talking about is buying and selling properties, as opposed to you know doing heaps of work on them and whatever. Although Tim obviously had some success doing that, um, you know what I'm talking about is like if you buy a property rather than holding it for 30 years, maybe you're going to want to sell it at a certain point to reposition that capital. But even if you're doing that, you're probably looking at five year cycles, right? Minimum, right? In order to to maximize the value you take out of it and make sure that you're actually taking profit, not just covering costs. And so. Over that period of time, things can change so much. And I used to like, I like to use ourselves as an example because, you know, we're not out there trying to get the highest yielding properties. That, I know we just mentioned one, we've got 9.1%. We also bought a bunch of other ones where they've been in the fives, you know, because it's not, because where we're at in our portfolio, what's important is that we we focus on other characteristics. So, yeah, I think it's really important to, to make sure that you're going into it with the right mindset and to go, okay, what's not, not, um, what do I want? But actually, what does my portfolio need in order to get me to where I want to go? Because that's actually the secret to getting to your goals six times faster. So, mm. I think it comes back to that whole uh, instant gratification mindset too, where mm. you know yields give you that instant gratification where you think you know it's successful immediately. Whereas yeah. you know if you were happy to go and just play a little bit of a longer game or a midterm game, then it would open up so many more opportunities for you. Hundred percent. Awesome, mate. I loved it. This has been really insightful. Really great. Um, really great to hear how things are actually at the coalface on the ground, buying properties every day with the team. So, mate, it's been really good. Thanks for coming on and thanks for sharing your insights. No worries, mate. Great to be here.